0: Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. So we will be finishing Revelation chapter 21 today. And then we just have one chapter left. Then the end of all things will have been clearly explained to us. So in Revelation chapter 21, uh, we're going to read through it together. Although last week we covered the first Um, eight verses. Today we're going to cover the back end, 9 through 27, but let's read it together uh, in its entirety to allow the Lord to minister to us from his word. Beginning in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city The Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper uh, stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel three gates on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south and three gates on the west now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city its gates and its walls and its wall excuse me and the city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its breadth And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper the second sapphire the third chalcedony the fourth emerald the fifth sardonyx the sixth sardius the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz the tenth chrysoprase the 11th jacinth and the 12th amethyst and the 12 gates were 12 pearls each individual gate was of one pearl And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by, shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, give your understanding to the reading of your word as we are considering it together here this morning. Speak for your servants who are listening. Help us to understand, and more importantly, Lord, stoke our hope because this is heaven, and this is where we will spend eternity, in this new heavenly Jerusalem, A place where your presence is what it's all about. You supply the light. You supply everything, Lord. There will be no pain, no suffering, no sorrow. There will be no no sin whatsoever. And we are so looking forward to that, God. In fact, as we read it, as I read it, my heart aches for that. This morning, encourage us from your word as we consider it together. In Jesus' name, amen. I think to talk about the end, you have to go back and think about and look at the beginning. Here's what happened in the book of Genesis as uh, the beginning of all things. Remember, in the beginning, if you go back to Genesis 1.1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. So in the book of Genesis, I'm going to give you a few things. The heavens and the earth were created. The sun was created. The night was established. The seas were created. The curse was announced in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell to sin. Death had entered history. Man was driven from the tree and from the garden. And sorrow and pain began in life. And there's many more things we could list there, but the book of Revelation counters all of those things and it brings us to a place where here we are now in 21 and 22 where there is a new heavens and a new earth. There's no need of the sun. There will be no night where we are going. There will be no more seas, no more curse, no more death. Man will be restored to paradise and there will be no more tears or pain. I don't know about you, but I long for that. I look forward to that. I look forward to that for many reasons. One, I'm tired of dealing with me. Uh, You're probably tired of dealing with me. I'm tired of dealing with my own sin. I'm tired of my failures. I'm tired of the struggles that I have on a daily basis with sin and keeping my mind set on Christ and Uh, you know, thinking the best of people as the love chapter tells us to do. Love thinks no evil. Love always assumes the best. I don't do that. I fail in that miserably every single day. I'm so tired of it. And I'm not saying I want to take my life or anything. Don't even think that. I'm just saying I long to be free of those things and to be in the presence of the Lord where there is no more pain and struggle against sin and chapter 21 is giving us the description of the place in heaven where we are going to be. Now, when you hear people talking about heaven, and maybe that you look up all the verses that, in the Bible that talk about heaven, and you try to develop a, a theology of heaven, it's all good because it's all pointing to the place where God's presence is. But chapter 21 tells us exactly what it looks like. And that's what we're going to look at today as we dig into this eternal city, the home of the bride, the city of God. And the city, as we will quickly see, is not so much about the structure, although the structure is there, but just as with the church, the church is, is not about the building. The church is the people of God. Because the Spirit of God lives inside the people of God. And wherever we meet, wherever we exist, that's where God is. You understand that? So the Spirit of God dwells in His people. And when we are in heaven fully free from evil and sin, and all of the the sinners will have been sentenced to hell at the great white throne of judgment. We looked at that at the end of chapter 20. You know, when we think about that as believers, I hope and pray that there is not an ounce of pride within our hearts rejoicing over the fact that we are there and and others are not. I hope that we understand that the heart of God breaks for sin and for sinners. And if it didn't, we wouldn't be here. And so let us maintain a humble heart toward those who do not yet know Christ. And let us maintain a heart of compassion and kindness and willingness to share the gospel with people who do not yet know Christ. Because the Bible tells us the tragic story that, that many will not believe. Whatever the reason. And to, to, to see people, and you've probably seen them in your own life, you know, people who pass away for various reasons, maybe even tragedy, car accident or something. And you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they knew the Lord. And the Bible tells us where they will be, and it's not a pleasant place. So as we look at chapter 21 today, I pray that our hearts will be encouraged. Because I know when we are there in the presence of God, we probably won't be thinking about that. But until then, in the journey on the way to this place, let our hearts be open to what God has for us. So he says here in verse nine, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now this angel who had previously showed him the seven bowls with the seven last plagues, You know, I imagine he was not happy about having to be the bearer of bad news. And those seven last plagues, the bowls of judgment, that was the finality of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. And now this time he's like, well, you you had to deal with probably the worst one, Mr. Angel. We're going to give you a good one now. Now you can go and show him the bride, the lamb's wife. You can show him the good thing that's coming at the end. You had to show him the worst. Now you get to show him the best. And as he carried me away in the spirit, verse 10, to a great and a high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. So John is given a vision. He's trying to describe with human language the divine and the holy things that he is seeing. And he's seeing a great city that's descending out of heaven from God. And the rest of this chapter is going to be him describing or attempting to describe what he sees with his eyes and writing it down in words. And I think if we had the most talented artist in the world who could read this and somehow put it into a rendering, a drawing, or a 3D model for us, it would pale in comparison to what we're really going to see on that day. So all we can do is read this and say, man, I want to be there. So he says the first thing, the first characteristic of this city as it comes down out of heaven from God is that it has the glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? The Old Testament speaks of the glory of God. The Hebrew word is the word kabod, And it means the weight or the heaviness of God. Uh, Sometimes we might think of those words in a negative connotation, but it's not that. It's a sense of, and I don't know if you've ever felt it in your own life. I certainly have, and I have, and I long for it. But the presence of God, when the presence of God is with His people, there is a holiness, there is a reverence, there is an awe. You know, all of our flippancy in the way we say things and uh, talk to people, all that goes away and there's a sense of holiness and awe before the presence of God. In fact, so often when we see in the Bible, when people encounter God, even when they encounter an angel, or often when we see the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, and of course Jesus coming in the New so often people fall down before the presence of that angel or that being why because they've come from the presence of God and they bring the presence of God they bring that awe with them. And I think a part of our our prideful response in life comes from not having a sense of God's presence and power with us. You know when God you know the scripture says somewhere in first or second Corinthians, you know, I has not seen, ear is not heard, nor is entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Even the best words that the most uh, gracious orator cannot describe these things way we're going to see them. So the glory of God, the presence of God is going to be in this place and that is the chief quality, the chief characteristic of heaven. God will be there and we will be in his presence. So as it begins to describe this city, he's giving us a sense of there's all sorts of symbolism and things coming in from, from the Old Testament, from the beginning of, of time all the way till, till now, till whenever now is when we, when we get there in heaven. He says it's like a jasper stone clear as crystal. We'll, we'll deal with the stones and what they look like and the colors in a moment. Verse 12, also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And the twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. You know, God told his saints in the Old Testament that the the twelve tribes of Israel would be included in God's kingdom one day. And of course, Jesus told his apostles, his disciples, who became the twelve apostles, that one day they would rule with him in heaven. And so now he's painting this picture for us. He's building, as it were, a literal physical city that has them not only present, but their names are etched in the foundation stones and they're written in various places for us to see. One thing we need to remind ourselves is that there is this thing in the scriptures called numerology, meaning the numbers mean something. You know, one is unity, three is the trinity, five is the number of grace, twelve is the number of government, the, the, the number of perfect government. And so we see here twelve gates, twelve angels, the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Remember that we've been reading all along the way in the New Testament things like... We are pilgrims and strangers here on the earth. Uh, Hebrews 11 tells us this, all these, speaking about all the people who have gone before us in the faith, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, meaning they didn't realize that It wasn't manifested in their time. God had provided something better for us, excuse me, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So the time is coming, we're going to see here in a few minutes in this passage, where God brings all of us together. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the tribulation saints, we all come together. And God brings us together in this heavenly city Now, without uh, reading it in detail, in Ezekiel chapter 48, and remember one of the things we've said all the way through on the book of Revelation is that there are more than 400 references or direct citations out of the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 48, verses 30 through 35, we find a detailed description of how God said the gates of the city would one day be designed. And as you go read that passage... Uh, you'll see that a lot of it dovetails into what he's describing here as God himself has built this new heavenly city. And it ends, I'm just going to read the last verse there, Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. after he's described how the, the gates and the wall will be. He says, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. The glory of God. The presence of God. I want to read a a quote from a scholar who talked about this because people over the ages have somehow come to an understanding that Israel was replaced by the church. And that's just not true. God has said all the way through that His people... Uh, You know, after they rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, and remember, Jesus uh, preached to Gentiles, and then, of course, the apostle Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. The gospel went to the Gentiles, but that's simply because the people had rejected the gospel, uh, the nation of Israel. But he said, I'm not done with them yet. In fact, in Romans, which we're gonna be covering starting this week in the men's study, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 deal specifically with God's heart toward the nation of Israel. And he says very clearly in those three chapters, I'm not done with my people. They may be temporarily on hold because they've rejected me. And then of course he says in 2 Corinthians, to this very day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. A time is coming when they will be awakened. And I think today the fact that we have the presence of many Messianic Jews, meaning born again Jews, that's a good thing. But... Uh, the time is coming when God's going to pull them all back in, and the time of the tribulation is going to be that time when God is going to once again reach out to his people and call them back to himself. The two witnesses there in Jerusalem, most likely you know, Moses and Elijah, although we're not told specifically who they are, the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe, what are they going to do? They're going to proclaim the gospel, not only to the whole world, but specifically to the Jews. So here we're finding that God is gathering everybody together, including Israel, including the Jews. So here's the quote, the inclusion of Israel's 12 tribes should settle beyond any question the matter of the inclusion of Old Testament saints. The divine intent is evidently to show that the new Jerusalem will have among its citizens not only believers of the present age, but also Israel or the faithful of other ages, whether in the Old Testament or in the tribulation. Later, there is also mention of the Gentiles. The careful expositor, therefore, will not confuse Israel and the church as if one were the other, nor deny to both their respective places of privilege in God's program. The anticipation of uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is specifically that the heavenly Jerusalem will include God and an innumerable um, company of angels, but also the church and all other saints, even here in the distinction between Israel and the church is maintained. The point being this, Israel and the church will be present in the new kingdom. This passage he was mentioning in chapter 12, I'll read it to you of Hebrews, Hebrews twelve twenty two. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. What is he talking about there in Hebrews twelve twenty two through 24? This heavenly city, Jerusalem, that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 21. So to continue on in verse 13 of chapter 21, He's now describing how the city is laid out. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. That's 12. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Now on them were the names of the 12 apostles. So now we've seen the 12 tribes. Now we're seeing the 12 apostles. And he says, the 12 foundations uh, of the wall has the, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. So as God is showing us this city, he's letting us know that things that he said or that he did have now been manifested in sort of the physical reality of this city. You may remember this passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now he's speaking that to the church in the present day. And the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, we know, is the doctrine that they, they laid down as, after Jesus ascended into heaven. And, of course, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the church was birthed. And they laid down what, what we have here as the New Testament. So now in heaven, do you understand? We're seeing a picture. We're seeing a literal foundation that's a picture in reality of what they did by laying down the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, uh, that was all done. The church was built upon that. So in heaven, we're going to see a physical representation of that to remind us that what God gave to his apostles and to his prophets, that's a physical reality in heaven that we can see. Here, we know it. It's in God's word. This is our foundation, right? Just this, this one book, not other books, one book, but in heaven, it's going to become a living reality. It's going to be amazing to see these things. Paul went on to say in, uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity that solid foundation that God himself has founded. Verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. So now John is seeing this sort of symbolism, but it's its reality. He's seeing um, this angel having this, this reed. A Jewish gold reed would have been about 10 feet in length. It's considered a standard. So the standard was a rod of 10 feet. And so he... Went out and measured the city and its gates and its wall, and he came back and he said, These are the dimensions of how it should be built. So, verse 16 The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. So, in other words, this is a perfect cube. So we'll get into describing this so we can sort of get our minds around it. This is a perfect cube. The furlong when you take it and convert it into our modern uh, units of measure, it would be right at 1,500 miles. So it's a 1,500 mile square cube on all sides. So if you You know, say, how many cubic miles is that if you take 1,500 times 1,500 times 1,500? I bet how many of you believe you would have math today in church? Anybody? Just get your calculators out. It would be 3.375 billion cubic miles. Wow. 1,500 miles, just to wrap your mind around it, would be from Portland, Maine to Miami, Florida. So basically the entire East Coast, that's 1,500 miles, okay? Cube. Getting an idea here? Getting a picture of what's happening? So, let's just kind of play with this a bit. Some have estimated that the total population of the Earth from creation until the close of the end of the age, and this is purely a, a, a number, right, would be around 40 billion people. I don't know, somebody's estimate let's assume generously that half of them were saved and that they were going to be in this new city. So 20 billion people in this um, 1,500-mile cube, you know, of over 3.375 billion cubic miles. If you divide all this out, here's the point of it. You would come out to each person having about 72 acres to themselves. Doesn't seem possible, does it? Now, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? To think that God himself, it's actually not crazy when you think about Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, that he spoke the world into existence. And he's going to create this heavenly city, and again, these are just numbers somebody made up, but just go with them for the sake of just thinking about this. You, each of us, each person, each believer is going to have Many, many acres to yourself, you know, in a relative sense. So God has got everything under control. God knows what's going to happen. Remember, he said over and over and over, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We, kind of, we take comfort in that. It speaks to us of God's omniscience, of, that he knows all things. His omnipotence, his His power. It speaks to us of his ability to reason and to create. And God is never not aware. God doesn't fall asleep like we do. You know, He doesn't become unconscious for some period of time and and wonder and wake up and oh, there's new, oh wow, that happened while I was asleep. I didn't know about that. God doesn't have that. Then he measured the wall, verse 17, 144 cubits according to the measure of a man. So it's interesting, even in this heavenly city, there's a wall. And when you take this and you measure it out, it's about 216 feet, which is uh, roughly 72 uh, yards. So it's three quarters of a football field tall. So you look at all of these things that God is doing, and and we look at it and we say, I wonder why, why is he doing this? Why is he doing it that way? Um, I don't know. That answer is not given to us in the scriptures. It just tells us this is the city he's giving us to live in. Verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. What an amazing thing. As we look at these things, in the next couple of verses, he describes all the different stones. I'm just going to read through this list here, but there's a point when we get to the end of it. So he describes all the stones, jasper and sapphire and chalcedony and all of that. Jasper is some form of a clear crystal. Many have likened it to the clarity of a perfect diamond. Sapphire is a bluish stone. Chalcedony is a greenish blue. Emerald is green, we know what that is, right? Uh, the sardonyx is like our onyx, which is a white stone, white stone streaked with brown, and some scholars have, have, e- have even said it's more like a red and white striping. Sardius is a red stone, some have called it sort of a blood stone, like blood red. Chrysolite, don't get confused in your diet with crystallite. <laughs> Kr- Chrysolite is a yellow quartz like our modern topaz. Just trying to help you remember these things. Beryl is green. Topaz is a yellow green. Uh, Many are not sure about chrysoprasis. Some think it's sort of a golden tinted or maybe even sort of an apple green color. That one's a little fuzzy. Jacinth is probably blue, though some claim it may have been yellow. And amethyst is a rich purple. Now, these are all the stones. When you read about this, the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, and he lists all these stones. God is nothing if not colorful. And, you know, some of us you now just kind of point out the difference between men and women. You know, my wife decorates the house. It's awesome. I love it. I couldn't do it. Color is, like, not my thing. I, I had to, somebody had to help me pick out a shirt with color in it. It's just not my thing. I would just wear black and blue all the time. But thank God for you ladies and you have that flair for color and for decorating. I love the folks who decorated, you know, just for the holidays here, just to sort of give us some, some beautiful color and some variety. But you see, God is the ultimate creator, isn't he? He's, he's the ultimate decorator. And he's going to adorn this city with such spectacular colors. It is going to literally blow our minds. We're probably going to be walking around with our mouth open at the intense beauty of what we're seeing. So again, John trying to find words to describe to us the things that God is doing in this new heavenly city. Notice in verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Anybody ever heard the term the pearly gates? This is where it comes from. Revelation twenty-one, twenty-one. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. I don't know. I kind of imagine in my mind, I'm seeing this one gigantic pearl and they've somehow cut a gate through it. And this is the gate of all of the gates. The 12 gates were all 12 pearls. I mean, it's going to be so fantastic. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And this tells us that God has a different economy there than we have here, doesn't he? Right? Gold is asphalt there. Here it's something you invest in and hope you, it appreciates and you get some more money out of it. God says you don't need any of that stuff here. Gold is just stuff. It's dirt. So God is going to do these things. He's going to adorn this city in such a way that it's going to house all the people whoever they are however many they are in this city and it's going to be the believers from all ages and we will all be there together and guess what all of us with our ocd and our perfectionism and all that stuff it's all going to go away it's not going to be there nobody's going to be annoying us with the way they chew right <laughs> Those, all those little ticks and things, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be there. Why? Because verse 22, but I saw no temple in it. So you don't have to go to church anymore. You'll be living in church, so to speak. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This, so, this, so God's presence, his glory will be the temple. To be in the very presence of God Almighty forever and ever. Just, he's always there. You know, to now, now we all like to escape and hide, right? You got a room, you like to hide in, get in your car, go for a drive, go to the ocean, go to the mountains, whatever, take a hike, you know, get out away from everything. That's great. Not, not in this city. You won't be able to, but you know what? You won't need to. You won't need to go sit in a corner and just go. It It won't happen. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. We will be forever in the presence of God himself. Look at verse 23. The city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. I could have taken easily a hundred scriptures that talk about Jesus and his word being the light. Here's a few. You remember John 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, meaning Jesus, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but the, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So he was just coming to say, remember there's a guy coming, and he's not going to be glowing when he walks down the street, but, but he's going to be the light. He's going to show us the path to God. And then Jesus himself said, uh, verse John three nineteen. this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. So you're getting this contrast now, light and darkness, light and sin. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. This is why they won't be there. In that heavenly city. Jesus spoke again, John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you have that light? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you, John 12, while you walk, excuse me, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Uh, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then later in John chapter 12, verse 46, I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And we could go on with so many. But it says here in this city, Jesus himself will be the light. Now don't picture the sun in the sky. He's gonna be the light among us I don't get the sense that this is going to be blinding. You know, if you try to look at the sun, you'll go blind. It'll, it'll harm your eyesight. He'll be there. He'll be providing the light to us. And it's not just light in the sense of I need light to see, to read, or to, do, to you know, perform a task. It's, it's light in every sense. It's spiritual light. Right? It's philosophical light. It's the light of everything. It's the light of truth. It says he is faithful and true. And then it says in verse 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Well, the grace and the mercy of God right there. This light, we will walk in this light. And I'm sure if you put all of us in a room with a, you know, A room filled with light but let's say the you know it has a can't even think of the word right now the adjustable you know dimmers thank you very good uh you know the dimmers every one of us would probably choose to do something a little bit different with that dimmer some would want it all the way on some would want it down pretty low or somewhere in between but see jesus is going to provide the perfect light nobody's going to need to touch the dimmer in his presence to adjust the light. He will provide the light in such a perfect way. And it says the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. It it almost seems funny to think of that, don't you think? The kings of the earth, I mean, this tells us obviously God has saved leaders in the world, political leaders and, and whatnot, and that's a great thing to look forward to but whatever glory and honor they have, he even allows them to bring that into the city. But I assume from this, and that's all I can do is assume that their glory and honor must have come from him. Because it does say elsewhere in the scripture that the glory of kings comes from the Lord. I don't think man can bring anything into it. We bring nothing to the table, right? We bring nothing to our salvation. We contribute nothing to it. So, their glory and honor that they bring into it must be because of what God gave them during the time of their reign and their influence on the earth. Notice what he says in verse 25 Its gates, the gates of the city, shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. There's no need for security. You know, you don't have to walk around at night as I do. Probably most of us men do. I secure the perimeter. Every night, it's what I think in my head. Literally, I go and I secure that. When I'm on vacation, I, you know, with my family, there's a bunch of us there. I'm like, who's got the perimeter tonight? They're always like, okay, I'll take it. Why? Because we think about these things. We don't want people breaking in and stealing our stuff, or worse, harming us. So we're constantly thinking about security. You lock your car when you go to work. You lock your car when you go to the supermarket or whatever. But here. Because remember he said, back up in verse 8, he gave the list of all of those, those qualities or characteristics, and he says, none of those people will be there. In other words, this will be a perfect place. No sin, no evil will exist in this city. So there won't be a need to shut the gates. There will probably be, and I'm inferring here, there will probably be no locks on your doors and windows whatever this dwelling looks like. And it says, they shall bring, verse 26, the glory and the honor of the nations into it. God allows the variety of the nations to somehow be brought in. And I think God will look at this and it's almost like a palette of color and say, look at this. Every tribe, every tongue, every, every person Uh, from around the world will be represented here in this place in heaven. You see, there will be no discrimination. None of those things will exist in heaven. And notice in verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it, uh, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What an amazing thing. This is a description of heaven. This is a description of where you and I and all believers will spend eternity. Charles Spurgeon, who was often called the Prince of Preachers, is quoted in uh, one of his books, some of his manuscripts, in what's called letters or his teaching to his students. He said this, he said, Whenever you speak of heaven, do so with a big smile across your face, but when you speak of hell, your normal face will do. <laughs> Let that be an encouragement to you, to smile as you talk about heaven to other people, as you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said about this as we wrap this up. According to the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, capital D, will declare it. What day? The day when you stand before God, the day when everything is judged. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. It has been said that we come into the world crying and that we exit this world with a groan and everything in between is helpless wailing. That is from a human perspective. But God gives our lives meaning and purpose. God is the one who brings order to our universe. St. Augustine penned the words, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that restlessness that you feel right now, that longing to be free from this this earthly tent, as Paul called it, and to be free from the effects of sin, as Paul described it in Romans 7, it'll all be consummated on that day in this new heavenly Jerusalem where once and for all, everything's dealt with. All sin is dealt with, All pain, all sorrow, all crying, all disappointments. You know, all those questions we always have that we always hear people say, you know what, when I get to heaven, I got a few things I'm going to ask the big man. It's all going to be resolved. It's all going to go away. I mean, Jesus himself even said in the upper room to his disciples, he said, in that day, you will ask me nothing. He's just going to take care of it. Won't it be great to have that kind of communication? With someone and we have such trouble now, don't we, in our communication? You know, what 90 percent of communication is nonverbal? And I, I get it wrong almost all the time. But there it's going to be perfect. All communication will be perfect. Let's end with this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. You know what is the love chapter. He says, beginning in verse 10, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, meaning I matured, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I, am, as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, but these, uh, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So this will be realized in our lives on that day when we are with him, in paradise, because what's been described to us here is the new paradise. It's really Eden restored. It's perfection in the presence of God. And as he said there at the beginning of that chapter, he said all of the the pain, the sorrow, all of that stuff goes away. No more aches, no more aging. We're just going to forever be in his presence. Will we all always be 30 years old? I don't know. But I know when we're there, it won't matter. All the questions we have will be answered. Everything will be consummated in God. Everything will be made whole. Every wound. You know, I talked with my my daughter yesterday. Many of you know, she. they've just been going through so much with the loss of their son earlier this year. And it's just been a deep wound for them. But I remember as we were talking yesterday and just listening to her, just how much my heart aches that, that she aches, right? And I, and I know, you know, Emily, many others have lost children through miscarriages and, and those kinds of things. And these things leave a permanent stain, don't they? They leave a scar. Or when someone betrays us or there's, there's, there's hurt and those kinds of things, it's all going to be gone. So we are not living for now don't think that the best you can do now is to have a couple of million dollars in your 401k when you retire. That could all vanish, right? If you watch the news, the world's pretty darn crazy. It's not getting any better. Our hope is not here. We are passing through this world. We are citizens of a heavenly country. And one day, we will live forever and ever in the presence of the Lamb in Revelation 21 in that heavenly Jerusalem. That will be our home. And until we get there, there will be no peace, no rest. But there is hope. The hope is that. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on heaven knowing that's where we're going. Amen? So let that encourage you, not discourage you, but encourage you that that, that something better lies ahead for you and me. Amen? Lord, we come to you this morning thankful for these things, knowing that you are gracious and kind and merciful to us, your children. In fact, we don't even deserve to be called your children. Sometimes, if we're honest and we think about this, we're not even sure how we got here, except the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And so we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that you condescended to us. We're so thankful that you reached down from heaven, that you made yourself relatable and understandable to us. But yet you're the one who spoke from heaven and said, my ways are not your ways and and my ways are past your finding out. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways. And Lord, while you've given us just enough to understand and you've given us light There's so much more that we don't know, and we get the sense as we read this story here of the new heavenly Jerusalem, the place that will be our future home, the place that is the fulfillment of my Father has gone to prepare, or Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. That this place will far exceed anything that we can imagine. And so, Lord, we look forward to it. And we say, along with all of the saints through all the ages, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, may we be shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Lord, fill us, enable us, empower us to love you and to serve you with a clean heart, with pure hands, Lord, help us. Help us in the weakness and the frailty of our flesh to love you, God.